Friend of the show, Joe Chencharik, gives our film today five stars, saying Godzilla minus one, more like Godzilla makes me come. Hello, hello. Welcome to Spectre Cinema Club, a podcast obsessed with horror subgenres. I'm one half of this podcast, Garrett McDowell, sitting across from me virtually this week. It's the other half. It's Devon Taylor. Hello, hello. It's a long time no see, Garrett. Almost like I saw you an hour ago. Uh, we sure did. We uh, had a lot of fun recording some uh, Patreon stuff, some more uh, movie commentaries. Uh, that was a total blast. Yeah, and uh, Garrett makes a mean breakfast, Sammy. Uh, with hey. homemade homemade jalapeno bagel, which uh, uh, I know our guest today is a big bagel guy. Um, but uh, uh, what a what a great breakfast, Sam! You whipped up this Donato. You're you're just down the street, buddy. Come on, swing by. Uh, come get a, <laughs> a bagel. Uh, but we we already mentioned him. But he's waiting in the wings. You guys know him. It's Matt Donato. Hello. <laughs> What's up, everyone? Yeah, I uh, have not had a good bagel since I've gotten out here in Los Angeles, being from the East Coast. So I think I might have to give that a try. <laughs> Homemade uh, from my lovely girlfriend. Shout out Monica, who uh, is not a horror fan, so she will not be listening to this. Uh, but uh, she's still she's still here in our hearts. <laughs> Hey, providing the spicy bagels is still very important to the show here. Uh, Donato, uh, fifth time uh, here on the show. Uh, you and Jay are now tied once again. Uh, Jay popped back on a few weeks ago for The Exorcist, so uh, the battle continues. You guys are both up to five, uh, the five-time member club. Uh, and we had you on the show last year when we did our listicle episode uh, for best of 2022 and uh so we got you for you know your your solo film today but uh uh what was your overview of uh 2023 as a year in horror uh overview as a year another solid year there are no complaints for me uh a, lo- a lot more sporadic i think i would say um i think last year i leaned a lot oddly i leaned a lot more towards mainstream films which took me by surprise because usually my top 10 whatever you want to say is very independent very foreign based but i think last year was pretty solid for uh actually like domestic theatrical releases where this year kind of fell back into less domestic more foreign more indie just little things like uh when evil lurks and some shutter releases i really like the sacrifice game a lot but then I had Thanksgiving representation. Um, I also liked It's a Wonderful Knife pretty pretty dearly. So Slashers kind of made a little bit of a resurgence into my list. And yeah, I just had a delightful time seeing lots of different things this year. There was no one real driving force, I think, that, you know, maybe other years we can say that trauma horror, A24 horror, whatever you want to call it, that was really propelling a lot of the genre at the time. But I think we finally uh, put that to rest this year. I think moving forward, we're going to see a lot more varied takes on horror and i think that uh whole trauma horror thing is finally getting out the door and excited to see where it goes i'm excited to see what takes over and if something like thanksgiving and its success can dictate well i don't know is this a new era of mainstream slashers i don't know yeah when i was reflecting back on mine too and like i was like kind of giving myself a little shit that i was like ah, oh, my list feels a little basic compared to my list of <laughs> typical years like a lot of other times i usually have some like you know deeper cuts that uh you know make their way towards the top 
And uh, but I think that's also a testament that's like, no, I mean, with mainstream horror, like, you know, brought their A game this year and like, which is good, you know, because we also still need horror to make money so we can continue to, you know, get the smaller, more interesting stuff as well. So, like, uh, I think it is a testament that it's like we actually did have a fairly, you know, really good mainstream year in uh, horror this year. Yeah, I think it's uh, really natural for like a lot of, you know, fans like us to where we're we're all checking each other's favorite lists of the year. And it would be easy to kind of look at, you know, Devon's list and be like, fucking basic bitch, you know, <laughs> like yeah, you kind of want to pick like the deeper cuts and seem like the cool uh, hipster kid. I don't know if they, they, do people say hipster anymore, uh, but I think it is just a testament to movies like Godzilla minus one that were not only uh, a critical success, but a real financial one too. this being the largest, uh, uh, you know, box office, uh, you know, record breaking box office that I'm sure we're going to be discussing uh, uh, movies like this. There's the, the boundaries of what is considered like a mainstream successful film are ever changing so uh hopefully we continue to get really cool and different and interesting blockbusters like this i think we will but i I also do want to say i think we're seeing the after effects of lockdown and when all streamers kind of scrambled to snatch up everything they could release and i remember like shutter itself was putting out basically a new release every week it was it was like the output was insane i think we are on the bounce back of well those streamers don't have to do that anymore. And, you know, I I noticed recently Shutter only has like one release a month now. So even that paring down, there are so many less options in a certain way. Uh, But actually still overall, there's more options because more streamers are opening up, blah, blah, blah. But yeah, I think that that, uh, going forward, I think the mainstream is going to play a little bit bigger role than it has in the other years, let's say. Um, And while we're still going to get things like uh, Netflix had the conference, which I actually adored and not enough people saw, I think. I'm not going to be surprised if more of that mainstream love uh, seeps back into those lists. And, you know, by the end of the year, we are discovering the big stuff versus, I don't know, we're just, I don't think we're going to get as much standout little stuff. Well, I think, too, that sort of breadth between, you know, the gluttony of things coming out, you know, allowing people to watch something, digest something. But also what you'll get is like in the case of Godzilla Minus One, where it came out into theaters. And because of that positive word of mouth, people were able to talk about it. And then it remained in theaters and was even put back into theaters. The fact that I can still go see this movie now, there are showings today and tomorrow is, again, a testament to people talking about this film and recommending it to others. So, yeah, I'm just berating audiences with constant content all the time. Of, of course, good stuff is going to slip through the cracks, but, you know, let's maybe pump the brakes and we can get really inspired movies like this. We'll probably get a second one, which I'm sure we will, you know, talk about towards the end of our conversation, but uh, I think audiences are hungry for fresh and exciting. Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a give and take, you know, because, again, you know, you kind of need the revenue that comes from, you know, putting movies in theaters to still get things to where it's like you to where you have the option, you know, Cause I think it was, you know, before we didn't have the option of the theaters. That's why it was so many more streaming. So now that options are kind of opening back up, uh, you know, it's a it's a push and pull of, you know, kind of just reading the market and, you know, studios. Uh, not forgetting how strong word of mouth can be to help your theatrical release, you know, uh, less less about just the accessibility of it. Um, uh, but before we get into the movie for today's episode, uh, a few quick messages from the Ouija board. Um, you guys can uh, find us on Patreon, patreon.com slash Spectre Cinema. 
where we have uh, some bonus material for you guys. Um, if you are in the uh, found footage tier, uh, you get access to watching the watch list number two, uh, where we uh, covered Possum and Inside and recapped uh, our December's uh, uh, via Letterbox. And if you are in the creature feature tier, you will get our Megan commentary, which we just did this morning as uh, we are recording right now. And we had a super fun time with that. And uh, in in the Patreon as well, you will have access to uh, voting and polls and stuff. Uh, help us decide our commentary for next month, uh, themes for the show down the road, and uh, much, much more. Uh, so make sure you guys go check that out. And if you cannot donate to Patreon, of course, uh, just share the episode. Uh, leave a five-star review, comments, all that jazz. But without further ado, we got a big beefy boy to talk about here today. Godzilla Minus One released November 3rd, 2023, and that is the Japanese release because they did it for the 70th anniversary of the original. Uh, it came out here in the U.S. December 1st, 2023, and as Garrett mentioned, uh, you know, started off with a limited run, then they gave it more theaters, they gave it an extended run, uh, and it also just got a black and white release over in, Jap uh, over in Japan as well. Uh, this was directed by Takashi Yamazaki, uh, mainly known for uh, manga and anime film adaptations, um, and this uh, was written by him as well, with uh, cinematography done by Kozo Shibasaki, uh, score done by Naoki Sato, and edited by Ryuji Miyajima. Uh, this uh, has uh, done pretty well at the box office uh, due to its word of mouth and uh, again, these extensions that is keep on gotten. Uh, so we're looking at 95.6 million worldwide um, on a uh, roughly 15 million dollar budget. Uh, I was gonna look up uh, how much of that came from the U.S. because I like to judge us and our contributions to international cinema. Um, uh, uh, Donato. Um, it, this has a 98% on Rotten Tomatoes on 166 reviews. Uh, what do you think the Letterbox average rating is? Letterboxed. I'm going to go with 4.3. 4.2. You pulled a Garrett there. You were 0.1 off. Uh, very close. Uh, yeah. Uh, Happens this is, all the time. Uh, you know, fairly recent film, um, but people are really enjoying it. Um, uh, that 98% of super high, uh, which is uh, fantastic to see. Uh, people are really uh, loving this film. And uh, me and Garrett both had this in our top four of the year. Um, and this is obviously very high on your list. So, Donato, uh, what made you want to talk about Godzilla Minus One today? I think that it's one of those horror films that I am calling it a horror film, number one. Uh, number two, it doesn't get mentioned in some lists because of that. And if you want to have the argument of, oh, what, what classification does this fit in under the genre? Like, I saw some people having the argument today online about, is Bo is afraid? A horror movie, blah, blah, blah. Like, I just want to remove all that and just talk about a good movie. And, you know, When Evil Lurks, uh, all this Thanksgiving, all the top horror films, I think, have been discussed to death already. So... I wanted to drag uh, old Godzilla in here and actually show some love because it was one of the last ones I saw the year and I've seen it more times I think that like in the in the span it's come out I've seen it more times than most films I've seen last year so stoked on it. 
Yeah, uh, I, I definitely feel you. I mean, for me, I mean, this is firmly in the horror camp. It's a giant kaiju movie. I mean, it's, it's a giant kaiju monster destroying city, killing lot thousands of people. Uh, this, this is a horror movie for me, and uh, we, you know, uh, discussed last week that Bo is Afraid, also a horror movie. Uh, you know, we like to be uh, as inclusive as possible, but, like, I honestly can't really see an argument against it personally being a horror film, but you know how Twitter be Twittering. Uh, Garrett, um, give me your initial thoughts on Godzilla Minus One. Um, I saw this film based purely on the fact that one, the trailer for this movie was absolutely fantastic. Like what a way to sell this movie. I was immediately, um, on board. Uh, but also I really enjoyed the prior, you know, uh, Toho Godzilla, fin- uh, Godzilla film Shin Godzilla. Uh, so I was really excited to see what they would do considering what America is doing with Godzilla and Toho has always kind of taken a different approach to it. And I'm sure we're going to discuss that a lot of just kind of how this film, you know, portrays Godzilla being from like a Japanese studio versus an American one. But I was absolutely blown away. I'm not a big Godzilla guy. I'm not like a big Godzilla head. I've seen the original. I've seen a couple of the older ones and I've seen the American ones. And that's about it. I've liked, you know, to really liked a lot of them. But this was the only one and probably, I must say, one of the few kaiju movies in general that truly I found to be exceptional. I think that this is, in my opinion, the best kaiju movie of all time. Um, I think that it is an exceptional uh, adventure horror film. Um, that's right, horror film. Can we please have discussions about movies like deeper than just is it or is it not this or that? You know, is it good? Is it bad? You know, like let's let's talk about the movie here. But uh, what it is is just a terrific, terrific film. Uh, I didn't have the opportunity to see it again just because life is busy. But this is a movie that I absolutely cannot wait to revisit. Uh, I think it really is going to stand the test of time. Uh, and stands tall as one of the best, you know, just theater experiences that I think you could have had last year. This was a movie that anytime I recommended it to people, I was like, please go see it in theaters. Like, please. It's it's one that demands that you see it in theaters, see it loud uh, and see it big, uh, just like Godzilla and his giant thighs. Uh, this movie is fantastic. I mean, standing tall. Uh, this big boy does stand very tall. Um, and it, yeah, like, I mean, for me. This was, I mean, uh, uh, even before, like, the movie itself, like, I mean, we've talked about, you know, the hype monster and the way that kind of affects uh, certain movie-going experiences. And, I mean, like, this one, you know, was just so overwhelmingly positive. Um, and as you guys heard in watching the Watchlist number one, um, I wasn't super big on Shin Godzilla, which kind of helped temper my expectations for this one because I, I didn't, I was like, ah, it's all right. Um, so like my expectations were pretty tempered, but yet I still had it in the back of my mind. And like, uh, there's kind of no more satisfying feeling for me than when something is that, you know, hyped up and anticipated and then it living up to that hype and exceeding it. Like I knew, like, you know, I was like expecting this to be good. I was not expected to be floored the way that I was. And it was just like kind of one of those, um, uh, nights where I was just like, man, fucking movies rule like because I, <laughs> I, I i watched this movie i mean it was a it was a like random like thursday it was packed it was sold out um i mean and people were just getting so into it we're dancing to the score together i mean like my legs literally felt like jello at the end of the movie just because i was like just so overwhelmed by emotion and fucking cinema and i was just like 
and I just like sat at the bar like in like the best mood for like three hours afterwards just being like god man that was god uh, I love this like I, I you know so like again this being a movie to see in the theaters with a crowd uh seeing it you know on the biggest scale that you can and uh in seeing it the second time hit even just the same like all the emotions still hit me exactly the same it was a monday night and it was three quarters full of people yeah. and this like months a, after it came out a like, month afterwards crazy and like I, I looked down the uh, a few seats down from me, and this guy kept uh, every time uh, Godzilla would charge up his atomic breath, he would sit forward in his seat uh, like every <laughs> single time. And I was like, yeah, this guy gets it. This um, guy's locked in. <laughs> yeah. So like, I mean, just everything about it, the scale, the emotions, and 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 we've also given trauma porn uh, some some uh, you know criticism here on the show often. And this one has it. It's it is definitely about grief and trauma. And I think it was, you know, we've just been saturated and seeing it done kind of the same way. We're kind of in a formula now with the the grief and trauma porn versus in this one where we get it so personal and so intimate to uh the the location for it, you know, culturally, you know, seeing it through a different lens through uh Japanese history, uh completely made it feel fresh again and I wasn't sitting here thinking oh my gosh, it's another trauma porn movie, even though that is a big portion of this. Um, yeah, so this movie, uh, absolutely uh, fantastic. Uh, and we got plenty to talk about here. Donato, are you ready for a 60-second synopsis? I think. I think I could do it. I think you can too. I got faith in you. Uh, you you did one not too long ago with Saw X, and you did a pretty good job. So so I, I'm feeling good for your for your chances here. I got you on the clock in three, two, one, go. Okay, so Godzilla Minus One is a origin story of sorts. We go back to the first time the uh, the bomb drops and it turns him into the big, scaly, fire-breathing, sorry, atomic breath-breathing monster that we know he is. And this uh, film specifically takes place in, well, it starts around like 1945. This is a post-World War II film that takes place mostly, mostly in Japan. After all of the atrocities have happened, after the Japanese military is pulled out, and we are now at a point where a kamikaze pilot comes home to the rubble that is Japan after the American bombings and such. And, you know, Godzilla's not really there at the beginning, let's say. It's a few years where it's just Japanese culture and civilization coming back to life let's say and rebuilding and moving forward and then that is when godzilla reappears and what godzilla minus one is the people of japan having to come together because the government cannot help them the american government is dealing with the soviets and it is just the people versus godzilla and keeping their homeland safe boom with a with a little sprint at the end there uh i had to give you a warning there and and but you made up time and you you hit it right on the dot I love I love that you refer to it as the people versus Godzilla, like they were suing him, you know, like they were taking him to court. <laughs> the people versus Godzilla. Bum, 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 bum. I need that as a, an animated movie. Godzilla in court uh, would be phenomenal. I don't even know how that would be a thing, but it would be amazing. Um, uh, but yeah, the you know, like there, um, this is a very again, like very specifically Japanese film. Um, because of you know the context and you know the way that it weaves in the the historical uh, context into it for a lot of people wondering uh, about the title minus one um, it's uh, kind of in reference when they were kind of rebuilding after this post-world war ii they were saying you know they're rebuilding from zero 
and Godzilla is like, oh, like you guys are already rebuilding from zero. Now I'm coming in and I'm going to make it even worse. So they are building from negative one, essentially, uh, is uh, uh, kind of the conceit behind the name there. Um, but let's uh, let's talk subgenres here. Uh, Garrett, what are uh, some of the strongest subgenre elements for you in this film? Uh, the strongest subgenre element for me uh, is the fact that this is an adventure movie. Uh, I think that this film has a lot in common with Jaws, which we're going to be uh, discussing absolutely in movie math, uh, but I might as well mention it here as well, that this movie is about people banding together for this common cause, and it is as equally as exciting as it is nerve-wracking. For people that say that this isn't a horror film, I just don't think in good conscience you could say that Jaws is. I think that a lot of what this movie has to say politically, uh, that film has to say, there's a lot of shared DNA in there as as well as the way that each of these films are able to mine these various tones, this, you know, high tension, high suspense, uh, but also this feeling of excitement and, you know, almost like this, this quest, this journey that this town goes on together, banding together to, you know, defeat this monster. It's, it's inspiring in its own way. And I think that that's why you were saying like, you were just like, you're fired up, man. You were at the bar and you were just like, God, movies. Cause this, I think that this film does that and uh, it, you know, offers a, again a true adventure yeah i would i would totally agree with uh that for sure i mean even also linking in the the jaws uh similarities i mean this is a firmly aquatic horror uh film i really appreciate when uh godzilla films lean into uh the fact that he's amphibious um and uh you know the american ones also have uh mo most recently kind of leaned into that a lot as well uh that you know he's kind of most powerful when he's in the water uh, I mean, obviously, when he comes onto land, he's still very destructive and everything. But I like how there's even a distinct difference in this. Like when he's on land, he walks incredibly slow. This is a a slow moving Godzilla uh, versus. But then when he's in the water, you know, he's he's able to maneuver. He's more nimble. He's faster. So I like that this is firmly an aquatic horror film. Um, also, uh, obviously, tapping into the horrors of war. I kind of. I, I find a lot of war movies, I could almost, like, certain ones make a case to be like, no, this is kind of, a, this is a horror movie uh, in, in certain ways and uh, the way that they depict it. Um, but this one, it's kind of more on the retroactive uh, look at it, the more psychological uh, horrors uh, that, you know, come from war, whether it be PTSD, but then also, you know, just uh, the kind of uh, fear of, you know, society in general. Um, Donato, what are some of the um, subgenre elements that work the best for you? Yeah, I mean, you've mentioned the two prominent ones so far, so I'm actually going to take military drama. Uh, it, it may not be the most prominent because obviously this is a kaiju film and this is about the stompy stompy and it's about all of that stuff. But at the same time, this is heavily a wartime drama. And I say that because we're not in the war itself. It, it's about the after effects. And it's about how countries are, you know, left to their own selves basically at that point and i think this is specifically a cultural film based on the japanese experience at that time uh, post-world war ii so obviously these are things that will be a lot more recognizable for international audiences versus you know the american experience after world war ii was very different like obviously we did not have to deal with anything like you know the rubble that is uh you know tokyo and all these other places and you know having to build back from you just said from zero so this is specifically about just the heartlessness of war in a way and how governments leave their people to 
themselves like like that is that big theme of having to come together in the community aspect of looking at something like the early uh the blob film like the original it's it's about the community coming together like a lot of those 50s and 60s era horror movies when we were still all about the community and all about togetherness and you know now we're all fucking jaded and hate everybody and good reasons <laughs> so like you know the horror has changed but it was nice to, to go back in time and kind of get a little glimpse of that and also get a history lesson you know about nationalism on top of it yeah the the military angle brings in some government stuff as well which is also very common within godzilla films um, you know, especially when it comes to the control of information that's kind of at play here as well. Um, and obviously when people talk about kaiju movies, um, you know, like they're, you know, it's like, what do you want from it? Do you want it to be more of the mayhem action kind of heavy stuff? Um, but then, you know, a lot of the times you also still want to get like, you know, really good human drama. And this movie, like, really does a great job of balancing all those things. I mean, you know, there's an angle of found family in this, and there's an angle of romance, you know. Uh, I mean, well, I mean, it, it's somewhat a love story, but without the romance, actually, because uh, Koichi is not a romantic whatsoever. Um, but, the, but again, like, um, you know, him bonding with this new work crew that he, that he meets, and find it and starting to find purpose again through that work and you know the the closeness and learning to uh, be able to confide in those with it, uh, around you you know with your darkest secrets and your darkest emotions and uh this film like you know does not slack on that whatsoever in uh the the human department yeah i think it's a rare thing uh what's the biggest complaint that everybody has about kaiju movies right everybody leaves it and they're like the monster stuff was cool but those fucking human characters you hear it with kaiju movies you hear it with transformers movies that is always the number one complaint and just like donato said yeah this movie is about the stompy stompy but it's also about the talky talky man it's about these relationships and this town and this community coming together i think especially with the backdrop of being post-world war ii where uh, this country made a lot of mistakes and, of course, uh, uh, is having to, to reckon with those mistakes. But what about the, the people who live in this country, right? The people who are being represented by these governments and they're left, you know, with the mistakes of the powers that be. And how are they going to respond to this, you know, uh, kind of taking up their own arms and defending themselves? I think that this movie is really inspiring and, and really uplifting. And I think it's exactly why people flocked, uh, you know, to the movies. This is what Nicole Kidman is talking about, guys. You know, yes. like heart play, uh, heartbreak feels good in a place like this. You take you take that monologue that she says. She's talking about Godzilla minus one. I promise we you. To, we need to. They need to update the the like clips that she is seeing on the screen, and we need a, a shot of Godzilla minus one there because like it, it truly is like you know kind of encompassing that, and and of course talking about kaiju movies as a whole. Um, I think you know kaiju movies are uh you know with them being specifically these gigantic monsters, these gigantic monsters that you don't really have power against. Um, and the way that they use these gigantic monsters to be metaphors for different things. Um, I really like the way that they make Godzilla this PTSD ghost for Koichi in a way. Like, he's just like, every time, like, you know, he, uh, you know, like, some, every time there's something disastrous, he just, up, oh, it's Godzilla looking from behind the bushes, fucking shit up, you know, uh, you know, for this guy. And, you know, the way that he, um, is this ever present, you know, reminder of, you know, the, the guilt that he feels uh, for, for his past and things like that. And, and, uh, and also 
uh, Godzilla being fucking terrifying in this. Like, again, like, putting this in the horror camp. Like, this Godzilla is not meant to be funny at any point. He is not meant to, uh, we are not meant to root for this Godzilla at any point. This is a pure monster of terror and mayhem here to fuck up your day uh, type of Godzilla as well. So, like, it, um, you know, the, the, the different flavors that, you you want for for a kaiju movie but i also like that like godzilla that we're in this era where we're getting both now we're getting consistent you know output from toho in japan but then also uh the monster verse here in america like to where we can have all these different interpretations of you know a giant kaiju monster movie uh from the different perspectives it's an exciting time to be a kaiju fan yeah, and it especially clarifies the difference between approaches in international American, let's say, kaiju films, because what we get often and, you know, what you both have alluded to is even talking about Transformers, something like that. It's about the action, like American mindsets are very much based on the action, based on the explosions, like that Michael Bay's brand of filmmaking has, like, you know, influenced how many generations of uh, filmmakers and viewers. So, like, I think as Americans, we get very used to a kind of monster movie, and those kinds of monster movies don't really go in depth beyond, again, the smashy smashy, the stompy stompy. Like, that's what American audiences want, versus the idea that Toho is number one. I mean, like Toho is Godzilla. I mean, like they're the ones who created Godzilla. Like they have a kinship to Godzilla from the fifties. So like they understand the creature way more, I think than we do. Um, And like something like Godzilla minus one just really goes to display how much they understand what the monster represents, what it can represent everything around it that has been mentioned. Uh, and, And just also, you know, what a Kaiju movie can be. Like, there's no short-sightedness. Like, there is a, a reason beyond the monster attacking and, like, what it represents and the metaphors and everything there. And, like, you know, it, it's it's not it's not taking the audience for granted, which uh, is something that I really appreciate. And I think, again, American films don't do as much where they want to serve the softball up and say, like, hey, here's here's an easy pitch. Like, you, we know you're going to like it. We know this is going to work for everyone. We're going to do that. Where Godzilla Minus One, again, like, Dealing with post-World War II Japan is like, you know, a pretty hefty setup for a Godzilla movie. And they strive to give you both. And that's not easy. Uh, And something like Legendary's Monsterverse, you know, it took until Monarch for them to actually start getting the human characters right and start getting that storytelling right. Um, And like, does it mean there's less action in Monarch? Yeah. But like, does that mean they both can't exist? No, they do. And like, I think that's why I'm really impressed with Monarch versus the last few like Godzilla and Kong movies where like, you know, again, Kong skull Island to me is one of the better of that whole monster verse. If we're going to talk about it like that, uh, not even a Godzilla movie, but because it really gets into those characters in skull Island. And I don't think, I don't think we've gotten a lot of that uh, prior so far in the American side. So I'm just happy to see something international and in, in the Kaiju front really taking over and like American audiences really taking to it. Well, I, I think it also marks a difference between American and the Japanese, uh, like, just portrayals of these characters. Devon even kind of alluded to it, to where in the American versions, Godzilla is almost a hero. Godzilla, is, you know, bands together with King Kong at the end of the film that you were talking about to, def- you know, defeat Mechagodzilla, to where, like Devon said, he's a fucking menace in this movie. He is a problem. You know, when he shows up, it's not oh, Godzilla is here to save us. It's Godzilla is going to kill us all and run. And what I really like about that is it is more of a reflection of 
just culturally how we kind of view these characters. I think Americans view them in a godlike way, but what is God to American audience? It's a savior. It's somebody to protect us. In a Japanese uh, audience, God in mythology means lots of different stuff. And some gods are more malevolent. Some gods aren't as as nice as, you know, old JC is. And I think that that's a real reflection too, is that there is a sense of power and destiny with gods. And I think that's exactly what Devon was talking about to where he is this soldier who feels like he failed his country. He, he, he feels like he didn't maybe have the conviction that he thought he could or couldn't make that sacrifice when it really counted where from a Japanese perspective and Japanese culture, like dying in battle is just a very honorable thing. So this movie all over is rooted in culture is rooted from a very Japanese perspective from like Donato was talking about the familiarity of Godzilla how this character has been used how Japan views this character but also historically what happened what has actually happened to Japan uh, and and you know philosophically from a religious point of view it's all enveloped in there I just think it's wonderfully well done and I, I think a uniquely not an American thing which is why I think it's so fresh and so unique I think it's a I think it's an interesting testament to how quickly Americans kind of move on from things and like kind of get past you know certain stuff like yeah we'll keep the memory of certain traumatic things but generally things kind of move a little bit quicker and it's like you know fascinating to see that you know this film treated with uh, such you know respect to the tragedy that you know still has ripple effects to them to this day like there are still areas you know flooded with radiation to this day you know so it's like uh and and it's like because it's like we've 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 been able to do it before like this almost it kind of has like independence day vibes in a in a way um not trying to say that japan views this as their independence day mood but uh, in in tone tonish kind of ways um i i kind of see that but like now it's like we almost like can't you know help but be like uh well we have giant monster and giant uh, gorilla gotta make them punch each other in the face and fight the robot you know it's like we can't help it you know that you know because so it's like it's it's how serious and sincere japan treats godzilla as you know as this idea and this property uh is uh very specific and i'll also uh be the third to co-sign transformers as a kaiju movie transformers horror there you go ha fuck you guys we gotta say about that um, uh, I, I will say uh, I do think that Devon you're right this movie is missing a line where Koichi punches Godzilla in the face and says welcome to earth <laughs> oh, oh we could have we could have used it um, uh, but um, but uh, yeah let's talk about our main man Koichi Shikishima um, he is a, a former kamikaze pilot who um, kamikaze pilot he's basically supposed to be a suicide pilot um, uh, uh, you know and he gets scared. He's uh, supposed to, he's out on his mission. He gets scared, says his uh, plane is faulty, so that way he can get out of it. Um, but then that's where he uh, instead trades uh, the uh, guilt for that and is going to compound it onto, um, you know, the guilt that he's about to feel for this uh, uh, first encounter with Godzilla. Um, but Koichi is uh, such a fascinating character um, of somebody that, again is you know he's carries he carries so much weight you know like he kind of uh you know sees the way that his decisions ripple on and affect others and you know but also 
Um, it's still kind of a heavy burden based on just the way that they treated the military uh, at that time. And like, you know, like, you know, making it like, oh, like if you didn't die, like your sense of duty is wrong. And like, you know, and so he, he carries so much in him and um, um, the performance is just so like the way that, you know, you see it in his face, you know, that he always has something that he has on his mind at, you know, uh, this like kind of burden that he's been carrying and, uh, and, you know, seeing his journey on him, you know, trying to open up to people and to uh, kind of share those burdens. I think, uh, I think he is such a brilliant protagonist. And I was just like, that was, you know, what I was missing in Shin Godzilla. Like they do that movie as like a satirical jab at like, Oh, we're going to spend all this time with these corporate suit guys. But I was like, but I, but I still hate it, like, just because that's what you're wanting to do. I don't like it. I, I would have rather have had, you know, someone on the ground that I can relate to. And uh, and I really think he has such a fantastic arc throughout this film. Like, yeah, I think he is a brilliantly written character for, again, this type of Godzilla movie. Uh, I think uh, I, I think he's fantastic. Yeah, I was something that I love about this uh, character is this real question of honor. Like, how does this person view honor? How does this culture view honor? What was honor? You know, uh, what did what did that mean at that time? Like you had talked about it, with with wartime, it was it was an honor to die. It was an honor to to give your life in battle. There's also, of course, like ritualistic suicides, like the seppuku, I believe is what it's called. You know, there are various uh, ways that are, you know, this very noble way to sacrifice yourself in battle. And when somebody it doesn't have what they see in their eyes, the courage to make that that, that sacrifice, how does it weigh on somebody, especially when your country loses, you know, who's to say that he couldn't have won the war again from his perspective, you know, these things that he's telling himself and the fact that throughout this film, he is able to, in his eyes, reclaim that sense of honor and what sacrifice means, but not in the most literal way that he's able to protect the people that he loves and put his life on the line in order to do that. Uh, but because of the trust that he puts in other people, he's able to, you know, to continue on because of the ejector seat and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I think his arc is is almost more internally. It's within uh, himself, how he perceives himself, like how he sees himself to be this honorable soldier. And I think he's just absolutely terrific. The the actor um, I'm more familiar with in some of their voice work, uh, they were the lead in Your Name, which is a really terrific um, uh, anime film from a few years ago. So this was the first time that I had seen them in anything live action. But you're right, Devon, just absolute heart and soul um, of this movie is a real strong silent type. Like, I don't fe I feel like he really is able to communicate so much uh, with his eyes and almost more of what he doesn't say, you know, so to speak. So just absolutely a fantastic character and even a better performance. Yeah, I like how it is the uh, bounce back from Shin Godzilla in a way as well, because uh, Devon, like you mentioned, that Shin focuses on humans in a little different way. Uh, you know, Minus One is very much about people coming together and trusting each other and learning from each other and like building upon each other where, mm -hmm. you know, Shin Godzilla, I think it, it is the corporate uh, satire. It is all that stuff. And, you know, I, I think maybe in a different light. So you get minus one where it is the rousing adventure and, you know, it, there's someone to root for. There's someone that you are really backing behind. And, and that extends to the whole group. I, th I think that, you know, Koichi being the glue between, 
you know, a, a, an engineer that wants that thinks he should be dead. You know, like go back to the first uh, opening se- sequence where Koichi lands his plane, and you know, T- Tashibana, the engineer, is kind of he's kind of sniffing out already. Like, why are you here? Like, your plane might be okay. Like, what's going on here? But like, whatever. Um, so you know, you do get that element of like, you know, he should be dead. And that mm-hmm. grief sticks through. But at the same time, like, that grief is what brings together everybody that he comes in contact with. His his little crew that goes on the boat. Um, you know, his his somewhat live-in partner, let's call them again. The romance <laughs> is, is there, but not there in any in any way. But he keeps bringing people together. And, and he is not able to see the strength of what he is doing until he finally can release himself of that burden. He can release himself of that grief of being like, no, dude. You, you, you shouldn't be dead like that was nationalistic brainwashing like that was li- mm-hmm. like there's nothing good coming from that so i i think that's it's done very well and again this is this is obviously all our interpretation of it i think there have been some other conversations where uh some people kind of found the cultural elements a little i i don't know i didn't dig into it too much this is all my reading but like mm-hmm. you know there were some comments from the other side saying like it wasn't as well done as americans are making it out to be so like I'm just yeah. how my interpretation, how I read it and how I was affected by it is that much. I mean, yeah, I think I, I think, think I, I was just going to say, I think it's worth noting that, yeah, none of us on the podcast are, in fact, Japanese. Uh, I know it's surprising uh, <laughs> listening to us, but yeah, none of us Japanese. Uh, so I think if, if anything is misconstrued or not well communicated, I it's definitely not malicious. It's probably just ignorance on our part. Uh, but what you were saying, Devon? Uh, I mean, I think it might be just if any of those criticisms just because maybe it's a lack of complexity because it's not like he has a, uh, a, a an arc that we haven't seen before or in this kind of form of storytelling but at the same way I feel like that's on purpose because this also kind of gives like a folk story kind of vibe like this sounds like a story that you know someone would tell a little kid at night like about Koichi the the pilot you know that you know slayed the monster like this sounds mm-hmm. like kind of one of those stories in the way that you know, he, you know, happens upon Noriko, you know, just by this chance, you know, meet cute kind of type deal. And then the way that, you know, this found family kind of unconventionally comes together of, you know, him taking in not only uh, a you know person that he's not, you know, married or romantically involved with, the child is also not even hers. So it's like, uh, you know, and then, you know, bringing in the aunt across the street that helps take care of the daughter and and everyone around him. Uh, like you said, uh, the way he like kind of brings uh, this kind of found family, but it, like it feels very, it just it feels very classic. Like this feels like a you know almost like a seventies film. It like kind of has like that that sense of purity to it, and I think sometimes uh, Americans can be a little cynical, and we just like can't let purity be good, mm-hmm. like without some sort of skepticism to it, you know. So it's like this film is just like a very purely you know inspiring sincere type of film and i think it's hard for people to wrap their heads around that you can have that in a giant monster movie because every time i I have been telling people that this is my favorite movie of the year they're like oh it's really that good i'm like oh it's that good and they're like wow i mean yeah i mean i'm not a godzilla person i'm like neither am i i mean i am now but um, because I've 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 kind of fallen for the big guy. I did like all my MonsterVerse rewatches in this past year and everything. Um, so, but like even still, like those are like just even the way that people react to it in that way that they are shocked that you know we can have something 
this, you know, pure and encompassing in a giant monster movie. And I think the way that they intertwine uh, Koichi and Godzilla in that way is, uh, you know, very fantastic. If we want to uh, talk about the big guy here for a sec, because the the way that he, again, is this literal uh, following reminder to Koichi of his choices is fantastic. You know, he makes one choice to dip out of his duties, but then he makes a choice not to, like, help fight against Godzilla in this initial attack. A bunch of people die. And then mm-hmm. he, you know, starts putting everything back to life. And, you know, he's building his house again. And he's getting a new job. And, like, you know, kind of warming up to the idea of, of Noriko for a minute until Godzilla comes again. And, you know, fucking take, you know, takes that away. So it's like he's uh, the way that Godzilla is just this giant, like, metaphorical shadow, but also... You know, he casts a very big shadow, uh, so quite literally as well, um, I, is fantastic. And again, he's kind of this this uh, almost a ghost in a way that just, you know, like is, um, you know, triggers these kind of nightmares for Koichi as well. And and uh, again, this this motherfucker is scary. These set pieces, uh, the way that they shoot Godzilla in this uh, is just uh, is fantastic. They do such a great job of mixing in. You know, showing the wide shots for the scale, but then also like, you know, the scale of, you know, what it's like interacting with them up close. Uh, what did you guys think about uh, Godzilla in this one? I thought I, I think he's really multifaceted as a villain. I think that obviously he is a, a tactile threat, right? He smashes, he destroys a bunch of stuff. But like you were saying, he is also this uh, almost figure of destiny. I, I, it's something else I, I think is a kind of a religious perspective too, is this almost sense of fate with him and Koichi, that it is something that is, you know, practically his white whale, like this, this thing that keeps showing up throughout his life, something that he has to force, uh, that he has to force himself to face that it's not something that he can easily run away from. And I think a lot of that is also just impacted by what you guys were talking about in regards to, kind of the, the 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 hope porn that is this movie like the uplift porn that is this movie and i think that i don't know it's not surprising to me that, uh, that we could as audiences expect to see for the next couple of years a bunch of movies that are uplifting and inspiring about people from all walks of life kind of like coming together and like you know working together because the world that we have is not like that at all. And I, I think it's it, a lot of audiences kind of crave for that sense of escapism of people experiencing awful tragedy together, but coming out of it, you know, unified. And I just is not exactly a reflection of our real world. So I think movies like this are inspiring and really do show us maybe not what is, but what could be. And I think that that's the real power, you know, that's the power of cinema is what I'm saying. <laughs> I hope that's what we get more of, because I remember a few years ago when a different president was <laughs> in charge and movies went the way of things like The Hunt and had to be super realistic. So I'm into a uh, a future where we get more of these uplifting stories, because that means that we are in a place to tell them. And I, and I would like that. But staying on Godzilla himself, like I, I am going to say I, I struggle to call him a villain or sorry, Godzilla, like a villain, because is, are they an actual villain at the end of the day? Like, we're the ones that shot it. Like, I mean, the first scene, again, it is to show that basically everyone is terrified of Godzilla. He walks on the island. Uh, Koichi is the only one that doesn't lay ammunition into Godzilla, and therefore he is the only one who survives that encounter. 
and you know leave him alone and see what happens like that is kind of the godzilla way and in the same way humanity is what drops the atomic bombs and the atomic bombs are what turns godzilla into what it is so yeah like I, i struggle with the villain aspect of it but yes absolutely a threat absolutely is is what it is and in this unfortunate circumstance i think godzilla minus one is a lot of the ferocity is, is enacted upon people who may not deserve it, but once again, uh, it, it is the greater, the greater you know humankind that is deserving of punishment at that point, and like it's just unfortunate who gets attacked. Um, but yeah, the ferocity is there. Everything is there that you've mentioned. I love my kaiju films to show scale. I love uh, Cloverfield. I know that might be like unpopular. I don't. I don't know if everyone is in love with Cloverfield, but my favorite aspect of it is seeing how big these monsters are in a first person perspective and i think the first or i shouldn't say first but i think uh gareth edwards's godzilla you know remake the american one of 2014 i believe does a really good job of doing just that as well we get these grand scale shots and once again i think godzilla minus one finds really unique ways to show the scale of godzilla whether it is just the towering epic pose of godzilla and you have koichi's little plane flying around him and it looks like a toy or you know you have godzilla in the water behind the boat and all you see is like his big dumb mouth like about to like swallow the whole boat so you get the sense yeah this is a big mofo like we we see how big godzilla is so it does a really good job with scale and not only that it well it keeps the tiny little arms which is hilarious to me i love i love godzilla's tiny little arms when they play around he's and he's all mean and stuff like that but it's also visually very striking and that was what impressed me more where you know shin godzilla is working with puppets and things of that nature but godzilla minus one is working with visual effects and that is sometimes a recipe for disaster in a kaiju film and here it very much was not a recipe or sorry the outcome was very much what was desired uh it, like you know, when I was voting for Critics' Choice and stuff like that, I absolutely put Godzilla minus one down for like best visual effects and anything of that nature because I do think everything is very well done. Whether it's uh, aquatic Godzilla blending in with the splashes and the waves and things of that, or it is you know big city smashing Godzilla where he looks just amazing when like the atomic breath goes out and you get that beam of nuclear blast. It, it's it's so visually striking and once again all aspects of a Godzilla film to be done this well at, in the same film. It, like, shit doesn't happen like that, usually. I mean, and the thing is, like, it doesn't even look perfect. Like, there are, like, you see it, and you're like, yes, this is a digital effect, but in the creativity of, like you said, in the way that they show the scale, whether it's uh the, the reporters on top of the building, and then, like, when they finally get so close, like, they are tiny, and they are just, like, by, like, you know, like, his ear, you know, like, and, and you know, so they do stuff like that, and also just committing to it, like, it's like, hey, it's maybe not, you know, like, it, perfect realism, but we're gonna give it, you know, enough to you, they don't try to hide Godzilla, in any way like this is a not dark movie like most of godzilla's encounters are in daylight like in bright you know brighter times uh besides the very first one uh that's that one is at night but you know and uh so many fun design elements uh i was tweeting that uh godzilla's frenchy coded to me uh he kind of has just like a a little menacing face that uh cal usually does whenever he's like kind of uh getting his zoomies ready uh, which, uh, you know, I could say Godzilla on land, that's him with zoomies. He needs to get out of the water for a minute because he's literally just stomping around and like because his arms are so small, he just like kind of also bashes his head into shit, uh, which I find very funny. 
And um, but my favorite, my favorite detail, because I mean, uh, Godzilla is only as good as his atomic breath. Um, I think uh, I think the American Godzilla has some you know fun atomic breath scenes. Um, I think Shin Godzilla, though uh, I don't like the movie, I think has the best atomic breath scene in any uh, kaiju movie that I've seen. But um, whoever came up with the idea of Godzilla's dorsal plates popping out when he's charging up, like all the way down his back and his tail, and then when he shoots it, they press inward. Whoever came up with that, uh, uh, amazing. Yeah, that is just one of the best little details I've seen in uh, uh, from any of the depictions of Godzilla. I think it's super fucking neat. Yeah, as far as the look goes, it's just fantastic. From everything from what you guys were saying about the scale of it, the fact that I love when he steps, it's like this ripple of people that like lift off the ground. Like talk about selling that effect. Devon was talking about how it's it's not seamless, but when you have, you know, him interacting uh with this digital set, knocking over buildings, stepping on the ground, lifting up buses, you know, chucking the train as effortless uh, effortlessly as he does. Uh, but the atomic breath, I mean, come on. So many great details. I love um, the sound of the explosion uh, or the, almost the lack thereof, how there's a bit of silence before it. It's I like love the sound how boom. I love how it burns his face, you know, that it like chars his face almost like, you know, that it, it hurts him to do it, but he still does it anyway. Mm-hmm. I love all of that. I love that also it looks like a guy in a suit. Like it looks like it could be a guy in a suit, like kind of hearkening back to he has what like Godzilla a human was. Chest. <laughs> exactly. Like you could easily see this being uh, sort of a costume. So it's a wonderful mix of the old and the new and what we're able to accomplish with visual effects now. I know that the budget for this film is somehow kind of in flux. People don't really know exactly how much this movie cost, but wow. Like I just don't really think that you see too many movies like this that didn't cost that much to make, but because of, uh, time visual effects artists given time to work on these shots uh, and really make them the best that they can be as well as a clear artistic vision you can get a godzilla minus one for i think it was estimated 60 million ish dollars you know like uh this movie looks like it's 200 million dollars it's just absolutely fabulous again just a terrific design so many so many cool details yeah, like it, it, like it, you definitely can see it on screen. You can also see like I love like the you know amount of extras we get in this movie uh, in various different scenes. Like you know that also again like kind of add uh, into the the scale and the scope of everything. Um, and I want to uh, also talk about um, uh, uh, you know we talked about uh, the the found family kind of angle uh, in some of the subgenres, and uh, I want to we'll talk about our crew of boys here because. Uh, there's uh, some some great just positive masculine energy happening on this boat. Um, uh, we have uh, uh, who I dub Captain Uncle um, because he very much uh, has that uh, great uncle vibe uh, with uh, the kid. And then of course my uh, my my floppy haired uh, man of man of my dreams, uh, Doctor Noda, uh, man of uh, Twitter's dreams. I love how he's getting just as many mentions as a floppy haired lawyer from Anatomy of a Fall. Uh, I love a collective thirst for all of us. Um, but I really love this. Uh, I love this crew. Like uh, I think this is kind of the the most Jaws esque um, kind of element, as well as like obviously some of the set pieces. But this kind of dynamic, you know, of like uh, you know these you know kind of different backgrounded people, but even in a more kind of 
uh, less confrontational. There's less drama amongst this group. Um, it's more, again, because uh, this crew was kind of already established and Koichi joins them and they're very, you know, welcoming to him. And again, it is him like kind of having this hesitance to like, you know, and skepticism of like, oh, can I let these people in if I tell them, you know, my past? Are they going to still be this friendly to me? You know, so I like uh, uh, the way that um, this uh, this crew all interacts with each other in this uh, middle section that, uh, again, like kind of really doubles down on the sincerity because around this time is where we kind of see Koichi at his happiest uh, in the film, you know, for like, you know, brief moments as he kind of. Uh, endears himself to those around him yeah he's doing his uh, day job which is hunting mines <laughs> like in the ocean uh, which just seems like a super cool chill time uh, but what I love about this group is that it is that everybody in this group has something to contribute everybody can help out in some way and I think especially at this time you know Japan being at that zero so to speak everybody can chip in and help in to to some capacity and i think that that's what's really endearing about this film contributing to that idea of hope and even in this little crew you know uh everybody seems to have their little part whether it's you know dr floppy hair and him able to, you know being able to contribute you know the the, the science to this plan or uh, obviously the pilot who's able to uh, uh you know fly the plane everybody is able to chip in and you're able to have these people leaning on one another which i think you would find that in times of like you know, desperation and, and hopelessness like this, that's where, you know, hope is found. And the fact that they're able to band together to defeat this, and I will clarify, maybe not villain of the movie, but I would say certainly the antagonist of the film. <laughs> like, I know man is like the overall bad guy. I, I know I know Frankenstein is actually the name of the doctor, not the monster, but I do think that the antagonist of this movie is absolutely Godzilla. <laughs> No, no argument on that. I just had to go to that from my boy. Hey, that's fine. Um, that's fine. No, yeah, I, I like how they represent uh, the generational change, or actually not even generational, but like the overarching change in Japan at the time, and and the entire crew represents, you know, whether it is you know the scientist and his ability to make this wonderful speech as they are finally coming together on the master plan to take down Godzilla and, you know, save everyone else who is still, still alive. And those who have risked their lives once more after surviving world war two. Um, but you know, he gives a speech and it ends it with basically like, no, this is the, this is the time that no one, there's no casualties. No one dies. We are all coming back from this alive. That is what we are going to do in the future. Not leaving no one behind that kind of thing. Or again, captain uncle. And he won't, he won't let the youngin kind of go risk his life where, yes, I want to be pro-military. This is what I'm being taught. This is what I'm being told. And you have the, you know, grizzled veteran who at least is seeing the future and seeing the children as the future and being like, no, you idiot. Don't go, don't go die for this country. Like this country literally like doesn't care if you die or not live because you deserve to live. And that is why like those little moments in the film embrace the humanity and embrace the change in japan at the time and i think it is again such an easy way to take as you mentioned like the jaws crew or whatever like you know that is the stereotypical like adventuring crew everyone has their job everyone has their detail that's what they're gonna go do and everyone has their job but also has a reason to better the future and like that is why they are together and that's why they work so cohesively even tachibana like tachibana is is the engineer who 
again wants Koichi dead because you you coward you 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 abandon your post you should have died in the war and even he at the end like he's the one that is like here's here's the eject button we're gonna the do fact this that he is the one to put in the ejector seat too is just that's awesome like that's fucking movies man like i i love that he is the one to have that arc as well that even in the supporting of the supporting character somebody who's <laughs> in like the first act of this movie isn't even in most of this movie and comes back for the third act even he has this really satisfying arc that when you leave this film you're just like fuck yeah man that was a great movie because it's details like that even the supporting characters matter he's nowhere <laughs> yeah he's nowhere in the second act Act, but yet he gets my first cry of the movie of many throughout the third act uh yeah he's it's fascinating because it's like yeah like he he wasn't like you know uh koichi could have found a different mechanic but he was like he had this sense of duty is like if i'm gonna you know make it up to anybody it's this guy you know so like to have that interaction uh between them uh was really great and i think koichi you know he has something to learn from each of these different men uh, that, you know, he's encountering and having to work with, you know, whether it be, you know, like, uh, you know, the kid is, you know, yes, he's very over enthusiastic, but yet he's the, the, you know, person you can tell to do anything. And he will say, yes, I'll do it without question. And then you kind of have uh, the captain who is, again, like very disgruntled uncle mindset of, you know, he's very anti-authority, you know, anti-government. But at the same time, when it he also knows, like, I can still have my disbeliefs. But when it comes down to do shit, I'm going to step up and do the thing. And then you have Noda, who is kind of the more enthusiastic about, like, kind of, you know, wanting to help this out. Like, you know, you think he's just the, you know, science guy on the boat. But then it's like, oh, no, he's, you know, former military as well. And he's the one, like, kind of spearheading this whole thing because, you know, he feels just compelled that he can do something that other people can't do. And he just, like, kind of feels that sense of duty. So... Koichi learns from each of them, you know, how to take accountability and how to, you know, and what, you know, true kind of sense of duty actually means versus the kind of uh, idea that he had, you know, that was kind of somewhat warped from being in this, you know, very hellish war, you know, environment. And it's him kind of unlearning some of those things and, you know, redefining what responsibility and duty truly means and the way that each person uh, kind of has a very specific thing to offer to him uh it's fantastic and of course we uh have to talk about noriko uh where koichi learns a lot of these uh more interpersonal lessons uh as well um but what do you how did you guys uh, feel about uh their relationship uh throughout the film well i think it's exactly what you were talking about right it's this idea of duty that that can be multifaceted that can look like different thing being honor and, and and sacrifice can mean different things that doesn't mean necessarily just dive bomb your plane and die for your country it's fighting for something and something to go back home to the fact that he hasn't that he has responsibility to this child to noriko to like help support her, where she's able to actually continue to support both of them and they're again able to lean on each other and that that idea of how can I help how can I contribute uh, and that they're able to raise this kid together that is neither of their real responsibility it's just kind of their cross to bear but not in a burden sort of way but in a duty sort of way um, I think that she's a really terrific character um, isn't there just to get sort of um, fridged, uh, and what I mean by that is the there's a 
concept in like screenwriting uh, or at least comic book writing called fridging where you know you you kill the female character to inspire the male character to go on their journey you know or inspire them to go on this path of revenge i was really concerned that she was going to be that uh thankfully i'm glad that the film doesn't kill her i do think that the movie could have gone about it in a different way i don't like that she just becomes this person who is killed and then he's like i will get my revenge i think it's a little Okay, yeah, sure. That that is a choice. I, I think that there's maybe some more interesting ones that they could have done. But um, I still really like the character and a lot of what we do get. I just think this whole they're dead fake out. I don't. I don't know if necessarily is my favorite choice. Yeah, I, I do kind of agree a little bit with that. That is the most. I mean, if you're gonna talk about things that are unrealistic in a Godzilla minus one movie. Uh, that might be the one, you know, the the ending reveal of like, she's not really dead. It works for the emotional beat. It works for the heart lifting, you know, moment. But that is the one stretch. And again, I'm talking about that in a Godzilla movie where insane shit is happening, but I can somehow be okay with the insane shit happening with the giant mega dinosaur thing. Uh, anyway, I do believe that the character, though, is a... I like the addition because something that Godzilla Minus One, I believe, does particularly well with its characters is really get away from stereotypes. And in that, you know, number one, just talking about the crew really quickly again, you know, if you think at the person in an American movie who would give the rousing speech that brings everyone together, it would probably be our kamikaze pilot like like he's he's the the prototype hero in other movies and you know he would have to be the macho one that does it but like no in godzilla minus one he's the one that almost doesn't join the party at the end of the day and he's the one that has the hesitation and it's the scientist who brings everyone together and so like just going down the list of the ways the characters kind of subvert their stereotypes um i do believe like noriko being there and not being shoehorned as a romantic interest let's say like not from the start like we don't have to do that whole will they won't they in the usual romantic archetype by just having noriko be there and immediately be a partner i do like that display of duty and i do like that showing that you can still be there for someone even if you are not ready for something or you can be there for someone and just be there for someone for who they are um i it's just it defies convention a little bit in the way they they show that that relationship let's say and of course again it comes to fruition but i also love how once again in other movies i think that noriko situation where it is uh you know our little kamikaze pilot trying to avoid a romantic relationship his bros would be the ones be like yeah no like you're right like of course like wow that's crazy blah 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 like they're the ones that are like you idiot date her go marry her you dummy like i i it's just so fucking nice this whole like through line of of koichi being the one that just doesn't know what he has around him um and and these other people trying to help him get there and i think noriko is a piece of that puzzle and i and i think it is Again, it adds a little foil that we don't have to get inundated with complicated emotional drama when shit's already complicated to begin with in a post-World War II Japan. So, like, there are ways to tell that story, and I think they did a good job bringing her in 
without doing the usual of that. I, I just wanted to jump in there and, and piggyback off of what you were saying and agreeing that I do think that this is a really nuanced perspective on masculinity of like what it means to be like a good man, to be like a person of of honor and to be a person, you know, that others can lean on, uh, whatever, whatever that looks like for you. Um, I just think this idea of, of what, you know, is the opposite of toxic masculinity. What is positive masculinity? I think that this movie does represent a lot of those sort of um, ideals in a really uplifting way. Yeah, I mean, I think it's fascinating because, I mean, you know, he's even kind of called out by the, the neighbor at the beginning of being like, oh, well, since you didn't do your military duty, you're going to take these two in and that's going to, you know, make you a good person. And to one degree, it's like it kind of might be his motivation for doing it. It might also just be because he uh, kind of has no backbone and could, couldn't could tell her no. Who knows how he ended up there. But at the same time, it's I love just like kind of the natural progression of the way that they come together, where they're kind of accepting the circumstance, you know, like, hey, it would be men, you know, mutually beneficial if, you know, we kind of, you know, are in this kind of together. And, mm-hmm. you know, even without romance, um, they still just like it's a, just a naturally of them kind of, you know, coming together and seeing what they have taught each other throughout this kind of experience. Um, which I find fantastic. I like that Noriko like isn't ever like you know like pushing him to like be like oh marry me like oh like I I love you like this that mm-hmm. like she is constantly being like oh hey we still have time to find you we need to find you a wife like uh, I need to stand on my two feet like I don't need you to be the you know you you go make the money bring it back to me while I stay here take care of the kid it doesn't have to be that way but you know they still kind of naturally come to you know, him realizing, like, no, I want to provide for you because I enjoy you and you make me a better person. And there's plenty of that without there being any sort of, like, traditional romance to it. Um, I think it's fantastic. I think her performance is great. And as far as um the her surviving, um, I, I, Donato, you kind of said it is, like, it, it works for the emotional beat. Um, it I remember the first time um, it hit me pretty hard because... I just kind of like I knew kind of the ejector seat, you know, thing was going to happen and and that emotional beat still hit for me. And but that beat hit for me harder on this second time around. Um, But in the very first time, I just put it out of my mind that that was out of the realm of possibility that she could survive that. So that I was never even thinking in my mind, oh, there's a chance that like that's what, you know, like she's going to survive. So Is when it because she gets fucking yeeted <laughs> down the street by fucking Godzilla and everybody thought she was dead. <laughs> and like so like I put it so far out of my mind that like I'm riding this high of already the the triumph that happens in the third act of defeating Godzilla. I'm already riding that high and then just be like and you know what just for some extra cherries on top here you go uh noriko's back as well and it's just like okay yes i will take that second win on top of this you know win uh, i'm not going to complain about more cherries you know so it's like th- that's kind of the way i look at the beat for it um you know but i i, I was glad you know like because because they're they even still use a good moment after they do kind of defeat um Godzilla and like everybody's you know congratulate him and like you see it on his face like on like how much he still wanted to have like that you know like okay like I wasn't just doing it for like kind of to end my personal war I do you know wish that I had someone so it's like it still all worked out for uh the emotional beat for me um I think um I think she's great 
Um, I, I, I think for me, I did like how this film at multiple points showed other people willing to make what in Kiyochi's mind was like the right honorable sacrifice, like making the choice that he couldn't make. And I think that her sacrifice where she kind of pushes him into the alley, the alleyway to sacrifice, you know, herself, that pain that he feels is not just because she's dead. It's because like, once again, he couldn't save the person that he was trying to save or make that choice to where he could, he wanted to push her into the alleyway and have him, you know, make that ultimate sacrifice. So for him, you know, uh, you know, to become that hero that he sees himself to be at the end of the film, I just thought he kind of was able to have his cake and eat it too. You know, he's like, not only was he able to make that, make, uh, to, to to make that sacrifice but he also got the girl at the end i i know it is sweet it is very earnest but i was kind of like well all right <laughs> i don't know if we needed to do all that but uh it is a, a very tender moment for sure yeah well and um and of course yes there are um you know the again like the this movie does uh bring in so much emotional beats but uh, i mean we are here talking about a giant monster here so uh let's talk about some of our favorite set pieces uh, featuring our big Lizzie boy, uh, Donato. What is uh, one of your favorite set pieces uh, for this film? It's kind of funny because it's not his full big Lizzie boy form, um, but I really do like the opening set piece. I really do love the way it feels like a Jurassic Park movie. Like I said, I think I said it before if yeah. I didn't, but but it has that kind of cinematography and everything to it, like a Spielbergian effect. And once again, that highlights how good the monster looks in that view. And it is nighttime, so it does help aid the uh, the visual effects. Let's say you can hide a few more things. But I think specifically of like, you know, Koichi is like in the, the cockpit of his fighter plane. And he's trying to decide if he wants to actually like open fire on Godzilla or not. And you get that quintessential shot from like any dinosaur movie that we've seen where like the, it, the light focuses on the eye, the pupil dilates, all that stuff. And it's like, I love that shit. Like it's such an affecting shot that shows the monster kind of looking back at you almost daring. Like, yeah, you, you, you're going to do this or we're going to be bros. Like, like that, that is the moment of like the monster eyeing Koichi up as much as Koichi is eyeing Godzilla up. And, and then the chaos that ensues afterwards you get a, again a different side of Godzilla because normally he's doing the squishy and the smashy and all that stuff, but it's just him walking around and stomping and things of that nature. Where this is the more predatorial, like like version one Godzilla that I think has a little bit more bite to it as he's literally biting into the uh, Japanese engineers and like tossing them around the island and like just chucking them in the air. Like it's just something we don't see as much from a Godzilla movie. Obviously this form is maybe a little more towards the like 98 version uh, or, you know, the late nineties, early two thousands version we had, uh, you know, with the Matthew, Matthew Broderick fucking Godzilla movie, all that shit. And this makes it much, I, I feel better about seeing Godzilla look a little different in Godzilla minus one because of the way he's represented. So I don't know. I've, I'm, I'm going to go for that first scene. And I know that there is so much good cityscape smashing and the stuff later is phenomenal. Some of the underwater stuff, you said it before. I love when he blasts right through the, the uh, battleship and you just get the, like the fucking laser plume just right through. It's such a good shot, but that first, that first opening real guy, it like, if you get hooked on the first opening of a film, like, you know, you're like, you're not getting away. 
Yeah, uh, I also think that that opening sequence is just terrific. I mean, Godzilla in his rookie year, you know, he's yeah. a little bit more nimble. He's on his feet. He hasn't bulked up and really got the power yet, but he's 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 light on his feet uh, in that entire sequence. I, I also think beyond just being, you know, fucked up and scary and he's, you know, biting people in half. There also is this real tension, too, because you're wondering if Koichi is going to pull the trigger because, you know, it's not going to do anything. You're like, dude. Don't do it. Like, right, don't fucking right. pull that trigger. It's not going to help you at all. So I think that that entire scene really, really does have it all. Um, I also think it's it's we have to mention the the train scene, just really brutal, tension filled. Again, establishing Godzilla as he is a real, real problem, a real threat. That entire sequence. I mean, any time Godzilla's theme kind of kicks into this movie, I think also has to be, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, mentioned the score of this film just kicks into another gear. So there is really not a bad set piece in this film, which I think is why uh, it's just one of the best movies of the year, one of the best experiences that you can have at the theater because there are just so many highlights to this film. I mean, the, the music is so amazing, like the score in general, like the way that they use it, like even in like the more softer stuff. But like, I mean, there's a reason that the the Godzilla, the original Godzilla theme was like, uh, you know, remixed into like a, a meme track where people use it as entrance music. And that's like, but they use it in that fashion in this movie so well of like introduce him burr, 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 here he is like you know and like just like showing up to work and that 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 opening shot uh opening sequence is really great it um uh definitely yeah like with him being a little bit smaller and actually being able to like actually eat people uh was like you know very yeah more a little bit more dinosaur-esque um, but yeah I'm a I'm a I'm a classic guy I, I love the the city the city demolition um, just because like, uh, again, like there, there's, uh, interesting, like choreography to his movement. Like, I mean, he's like, Oh, let me smash this with my tail. And now I'm going to fall into this. And I'm going to blast that. And then, Oh, now I'm right here. I'm going to claw this. Um, you know, he's just like, I'm just a ball of destruction. And again, uh, being Frenchy coded, I laughed at the shot. Like I laugh at the shot where it's just him sitting there with the train in his mouth, not moving for like a good beat. And he's just like standing there like, eh, I got a train. I, like it's literally cow with his toy. Um, and, and the train scene does like feel again, like very, uh, Jurassic Park 2, uh, when they have like the long, uh, trailer, uh, sequences in those mm -hmm. ones. Uh, fantastic. Um, but yeah, just like it, the entire thing in the city is, uh, just a, a really it, it feels again like it's even like the way that even the coloring kind of like gives it like kind of this like kind of this is a classic you know Godzilla romp through the city, but just done exceptionally well. You know, mixed in with the the destruction of his atomic breath as well. Um, I think it's just a a super well rounded, uh, scene. Um, but then of course we have uh, some great boat scenes as well. Um, mm -hmm. uh, that I, I really like the, the first boat scene is like the, the scrappy one, you know, they're like dropping bomb, uh, mines into his mouth and trying to shoot it. Like that's a, that's a fun one. Um, you know, I love that, you know, this wooden boat is just fast enough to be able to out, you know, uh, outlast, uh, Godzilla in this. Um, and it's like a, you know, it's like their, their, their first like true bonding moment. Like, okay, like now these are brothers now, like, you know, cause the rest of the movie, you know, they feel like a unit after this. Like, okay, we we we're going through some shit, and like, 
now we're locked in. Like, you know, Koichi's like, I have to trust you guys more. I also think it's worth noting that this version of Godzilla not only is, you know, Godzilla, but he also has healing factor. Like, he's like fucking Wolverine. <laughs> like, they blow off his face and it heals, like, super quickly, which culminates to them trying to defeat him by using science and using bubbles, which I just thought was, like, super fun and creative, you know? It's not a nuke. It's not, oh, we need a bigger monster. It's, why don't we try to defeat him with the power of nature, which I just thought was really creative. I don't fucking know uh, if this holds water science-wise. I don't care, okay? I don't care. I'm not a scientist, uh, so don't come at me if it doesn't make sense and the pressure and whatever. But I just thought it was really creative and really different, and I think most importantly, as an audience member, kind of made me sit up a little bit like that guy that Devon saw in the theater and be like, oh, shit, are they actually going to be able to get Godzilla? Like, it, it does actually kind of hold your attention beyond just, oh, a big monster is going to fight another big monster until one of them's dead, and it's probably not going to be Godzilla. This one, I was like, oh man, maybe they might actually, you know, do the thing. As a as a proud science nerd, uh, you guys know what, for me when it comes to movies, I'm a big fan of Close Enough. And every everything he says, it checks out. Um, and I cannot not watch this film without fist pumping when Dr. Noda says, we'll kill it with the power of the sea. And he like has this smug, like stank face on. And I'm like, Oh, it's on now. Uh, is, uh, is such a great moment. And the, the way this like finale scene, like again, like being all taking place in the water, uh, wrangling Godzilla with boats and, uh, attaching shit to him. Uh, I think is, uh, all really fun. And like, you know, and we also get like our, you know, the power of the neighborhood uh, moments with uh, the the uh, non-military tugboats coming in to help. Uh, you know, this this finale, you do get, like, a little bit of everything. Like, you know, like, this is where, you know, uh, we're banding together. We're, you know, everyone's on the same page. And, like, even though there's, like, moments of, like, things not, certain things not working, you still, there's something about it that, like, you, you kind of know that they're going to get through this. But each time when you see a hitch, you get, like, excited to, like, see how they're going to go past it. Like, okay, plan A didn't work. Now we got to go to plan B. Okay. Uh, and then Koichi had plan C, but he didn't tell anybody about plan C. Uh, so it's like there's, you know, kind of the tension there um, as uh, Dr. Noda and uh, Captain Uncle, like, watch him, you know, kind of do this whole aerial assault thing. Uh, I think the whole third act finale is just fantastic. Which I think also, not to continue to bring up Jaws, but also is kind of that too, where there's multiple rounds to this fight, you know, that they kind of have to, you know, go out, throw a few jabs and go back and kind of reassess, you know, that if you go out and if you, you know, w watch Jaws, they try different stuff to take him down and kind of have to adapt all the way up to the end of the film, obviously, with a gun and a tank, you know, like that, that wasn't plan A, that was plan E or F, you know, where we're here too, these, these characters characters go out with the best intentions and they have a plan but they have to pivot uh and again it's up to you know our hero to make that ultimate sacrifice i don't think that anybody is claiming that what this movie does as far as like the plot wise uh is super different i think again it's kind of the fact that this movie is able to be this not only exciting action adventure film and this kaiju monster movie and like donato said uh, you know have the stompy stompy but also be this pretty meditative character study as well and i think that's the heart and soul of this film and captures what a lot of these other kaiju movies just ha haven't able you know been able to do for a lot of american audiences 
and even just that first uh the first beginning of the third act where <laughs> they're ready for their plan they're all waiting around on the dock they're like okay like he's just here like what what do we do now and you just see a fucking boat go flying through the air <laughs> and it's like oh yeah that's right he's still godzilla this shit's still gonna go crazy uh it, it is the perfect encapsulation of you can prepare for as much as you can and you can have every plan in the world but you still do need b c d e f like whatever one comes at when he throws one of the boats like what what plan do we do now <laughs> um but it, yeah. it is so quintessential godzilla and i love that moment so much and it it is it leads right into the science aspect of it all that is so cool to see the freon gas and i i do love that shot of godzilla going down plunging into the water and just like looking around like what the fuck is happening like yeah. what did they do to me like why yeah. can i not do this um i, I, I so, think it's also cool that the way that he was created was so not natural like with nuclear energy that he was mutated that the way that he would die would be through nature it would be so natural and not like a man-made weapon you know that was what created him i think in order to destroy him you have to embrace something a little different yeah, which we do get to see, like, uh, I love the shot of him, like, when they have to rise him back up, because they're like, oh, we sunk him, but he's not dead at the bottom, so we have to rise him back up, and then the decompression, like, freezes him. Right. And he, like, kind of has this, like, frost as he's, like, kind of coming up. And um, and I love um, even, like, kind of the uh the the big you know this this film is you know had its de- degree of melodrama throughout but like you know like uh you know even the melodrama of the you know final moment to drop the sound out for like you know for like two minutes and just like kind of let it all uh and it's like again you you kind of already like because of you know what kind of movie this is like you know it's kind of gonna work out but you still are watching this and how it's like you know all gonna kind of play out like the you know uh godzilla like charging up in slow motion and he's like really it's like some dragon ball z shit he's like moving his arms he's really winding this one up uh you know uh to like kind of you know give koichi that you know perfect timing uh to 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 pull off his move uh because it's like you know at, up to that point dr noda he he was the one that knows like hey after he blasts like it kind of takes a bit to recharge um, but then you know, Godzilla. Hey, doesn't it? Uh, it's the same for here. Same here. Same here, Godzilla. <laughs> Godzilla right. needed. You need some electrolytes uh, in between. Uh, in between atomic charges there. Um, but uh, yeah, the the way it all works out, I think, is just um, really fantastic. And then, of course, we do get a uh, not not post credit, but you know, last little uh, epilogue shot of. Um, because we did, I only, I didn't notice it the first time, but uh, I didn't know, I did notice on the second time that uh, Noriko has like, uh, like little blackness like creeping up her neck. Um, and so even though she did survive, uh, is that better for her? Who knows? She might be suffering uh, some radiation uh, for the next bit, and that might suck. Um, but we also do see a uh, chunk of Godzilla's flesh uh, starting uh, to regenerate once again uh, as it uh, sinks to the ocean. So I think it'd be cool because if they're going to do another one, which I think they've already uh, mentioned uh, that they're, you know, working on plans for it. If it if when it regenerates, this Godzilla had like different powers because now they like kind of know what to expect with Godzilla. But now what if it has like some different shit? Because don't get me wrong. I, I know Atomic Breath is kind of his classic thing. But like, I don't know. Like, what if now since it's going to be a different version of Godzilla regenerated? We get like a, you know, like a different form. Uh, would you guys want Godzilla with wings? I feel like that's a hot topic amongst the kaiju community. 
Uh, no, no, no. <laughs> no that's because they, they've uh, they've no. done no. they've done that with other villains against or sorry not villains True. but like his his foes have done that they've taken flight. I, I think that goes against what Godzilla is as a creature. Yeah, I think that if they are going to do a sequel, they really have to step back and wonder what is going to be their story to tell. Like, as far as this being like a World War II story about honor and hope, I think they need to do something with similar care for whenever Godzilla is coming back. So I don't think that this series is the the type to go in like a Mecha Godzilla route. I think if they're going to do something, it would probably be, you know, a, a, another kaiju that... Yeah, we might see Godzilla go the way of the hero. I'm not sure. Um, I think, if anything, he will develop variations on the powers that he does have. I don't see him getting like anything too crazy, but I, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if he gets maybe a little bit no- more nimble, or he can shoot something out of his tail, or I don't know, other things Godzilla can do, presumably in other films, but probably one of those things, uh, but I don't see him sprouting wings or anything, that would be uh, that'd be insanity. Yeah, I have to think about, like, because uh, if you go back to, like, read interviews and stuff with uh, Yamazaki, he wrote Godzilla Minus One, at least the first draft uh, during lockdown and, you know, COVID at its height at the time, so a lot of the fears in this film and also a lot of like the togetherness was born from Yamazaki himself being stuck and isolated and alone and striving for that communal touch again, like striving for that communal spirit to come back because, you know, we, we lacked that for a while. So I, I think of how that shaped Godzilla minus one and how that eventually became the story. And, you know, we talked prior to like, obviously art imitates life life imitates art that whole saying so you know what in modern day uh yamazaki kind of if he returns i I do believe there is a report saying that like he will probably be back to do the next one at least so if that happens uh for toho you know what is he going to pull from in modern day to find that inspiration like what is going on right now in the world that can once again relate to a godzilla movie I think that, if anything, there has to be... I, I just think that there is this threat now that this this can of worms, as far as like atomic energy and dropping nuclear bombs, has been opened. Uh, you know, maybe a cautionary tale of the dangers of that. Uh, and maybe this is a post-apocalyptic Godzilla movie. Maybe Godzilla's done fucked up the Earth, and this is everybody kind of uh, in the wasteland trying to band together. You know, I think that that could maybe be interesting show the dangers of exactly this power that we're just sort of dangling over everybody's head in a potential world war three so i'm not sure what that would look like but i think if you're gonna make it look like modern day you know what are what are today's people's concerns you know and and fears and anxieties especially when it comes to atomic energy i think the potential for nuclear fallout and nuclear war is is uh, largely felt by a lot of people (laughs) that's what i was gonna say like i mean we got the we got the wholesome sincere one everyone came together it felt nice uh let's get the angry uh godzilla sequel you know of yeah dealing with the um the nuclear radiation fallout that maybe leads to an apocalypse or or people uh, are feeling fired up about their defeat of Godzilla and then they're revolting against the government and, you know, maybe we get some uh, with a, a little chaos to it. Who knows? But I don't know. Um, I think, I mean, I don't know about it being, um, you know, how much of it's going to be a direct sequel or not or whatever. Because I also kind of like that, like, 
uh, we have the U.S. one. That's the franchise. And then Japan, you guys just, like, make it, like, these, like, you know, like, more, like, uh, anthology style, just, like, different, you know, kind of standalone Godzilla movies, you know, kind of exploring the different kind of styles and angles. Um, so, because, I mean, I don't know if I need, like, like, because if they're going to do, like, a direct sequel or something, I don't want Koichi in this. I want him and Noriko to be uh, happy off somewhere. Uh, you can have Dr. Noda uh, lead uh, the, the, the loose Godzilla franchise, him kind of be the uh, detective Benoit Blanc of uh, Toho's Jap- uh, Godzilla you know, and I think he would just be Ken Watanabe in the American ones. I don't they, know. If they I hit him back up, and they're that. like, "Hey, you're the Godzilla guy. You 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 came up with the plan last time. You're the guy." I, I think I'm down with the way of uh, anthology. Like Shin Godzilla and this don't really have anything no. uh, yeah. in, in common. They're very very different approaches to Godzilla. So I'm also really down with them just going in a different direction. Not to not to go on a on a big tangent, but this guy has openly said that he wants to make a Star Wars movie. And God, I hope he does because he would make a fucking kick ass one, man. Donato, quit shaking your head. Let me have this. <laughs> oh no, that that I did not know he said it. That was a that was a like. Apparently they the had a screening of this movie um, at Lucasfilm because uh, Dave Filoni is such a big fan of it. So hopefully that you know opens some doors for him to make some American movies or continue to make Japanese movies with bigger and bigger, uh, bigger budgets. I mean, let this guy do it. I'm stoked to see whatever the hell he makes next. The only thing I can think of if we're going to get crazy with a sequel to Godzilla Minus One and with the teasing of the regeneration, it does tease that this one can have a sequel somehow. Um, I... You know, you see the piece of Godzilla regenerating, but what if in the process of blowing him up with the kamikaze plane, that different chunks blew into different parts of the ocean, and they all start regenerating their own Godzillas? Like, what if that is the next movie? And that ties into the, like, okay, maybe this can be dystopian in a way, because what if we just go super into the future where, like, fucking 10, 20 Godzillas broke off of this one Godzilla, and they just laid waste to the world. And now it's some, like, Mad Max shit where it's just the survivors in a wasteland trying to survive Godzilla worlds. Like, that's... If yeah. you want to get fucking insane, go. Godzilla plus 10. Here we here we go. Um, with uh, with uh, 10, uh, 10 different Godzillas going on. Who knows? Who knows where we're gonna go? But let's go ahead and give our final thoughts here out of uh, out of uh, out of five C C mines. Um, uh, Donato, what are you giving uh, Godzilla minus one? If you go read my review on Blade Disgusting, you will see that I gave it four and a half out of five. I fucking love this movie. Hell yeah! Uh, very solid. What about you, Garrett? Uh, same four and a half out of five movies, a total ripper, uh, out of, uh, all of the movies that I saw last year, this is my seventh favorite movie. Um, this is my third favorite horror, uh, favorite horror movie of the year. We will be talking about number two, uh, very soon. Uh, uh, and we've also talked about my number four with Bo's Afraid. Uh, but yeah, just what a blast. Such a great movie. And uh, this is a five out of five for me. Um, this is, uh, one of the ones I'm, you know, I'm willing to look over some of the, uh, little tiny mistakes, uh, because just the emotions of, you know, this film and the experience of watching it, you know, just like give it that little bit. Cause I'm sure once I rewatch poor things that would, I'll probably swap them and that would maybe be my favorite of the year. They're, you know, very close, but just because of the pure cinematic mm-hmm. high I got from this movie, you know? 
um, I gotta give it that uh that that five star treatment because again watching it the second time like it breezed by and it's just like oh man I can I can watch this over and over again and uh, I'm definitely gonna be revisiting it. This was my top movie of the year. Um, but I have another choice for uh for next week for us to talk about. Um, but let's see what other movies we were thinking about while we were discussing Godzilla minus one. All right, here on Spectre Cinema Club, we like to conclude all of our discussions by playing movie math. Uh, Donato, you've been around the block a few times, so uh, what films reminded you of the movie that we discussed today? Yeah, I mean, I think mine is pretty simple, and I've said most of it. So it, it is Joss. I'm, I'm going to copy you both. Like, it's in there. It's not, I can't get away from it. Uh, plus Jurassic Park. I have said that plenty of times. I dropped Cloverfield. I want to add Cloverfield to it. So these are all just addition. And then also adding, uh, like, I don't know the perfect uh, Japanese military film equivalent that would work for this. Like, obviously, there's plenty of American uh, military dramas. So just looking into the Japanese canon, you know, finding some kind of post-World War II Japanese war film and adding that in there, too. I think that's that's where you get the equation for me. I love that Donato's uh, movie math equations are probably similar to his burrito bowls at Chipotle. He's just like, a scoop of this, a scoop of that. Uh, might as well throw some of this in there. Oh, there you go. <laughs> a little of this, a little of that. That's, that's how life is. Yeah, for me, I went pretty simple on this one. Um, I have a Pacific Rim uh, for as far as another very sincere, emotional uh, giant kaiju movie. Um, Del Toro's film is a send up of, you know, a lot of, you know, previous kaiju movies before it. Um, he's admittedly, you know, such a big fan of his monsters. And uh, every time I watch it, I just love it a little bit more. Like I fucking get so fired up with the the kind of again, like this is kind of, I guess, more the Independence Day uh, kaiju movie where you kind of have this, you know, uh, coming together of people. Um, you know, for this like kind of this sense of duty and people kind of getting past their guilt and uh, past traumas, uh, things like that. Um, so I have a uh, Pacific Rim uh, multiplied by Dunkirk. Um, uh, you know, for I guess uh, some of these uh, kind of similar um, you know, uh, wartime themes of you know people um, you know, having a sense of duty even if they're not involved in the military and, like, the different angles that they kind of took. Also, in kind of the construction, because a lot of Dunkirk's on the water, but then you also got Tom Hardy in the plane. Um, so, kind of in that way. I'm going to go, I'm going to try and find it. Uh, I had a tweet from when Dunkirk came out. Uh, when I remember when the initial teaser was just uh, the bunch of dudes on that big old fleet in the water, and they're all looking up at something. And I remember saying... Yo, what if Nolan just made a war kaiju movie? What if this is a, what if there's a giant monster in Dunkirk? Uh, unfortunately, there was not. Um, but now I got that. Godzilla minus one is uh what I wanted Dunkirk to be, but unfortunately there was uh no thick scaly boy to be found in Dunkirk. But um, you know, still still the vibes uh, I got a little bit of in this one. Yeah, I too was also going to put Dunkirk in my equation, so thanks for taking it, Devon. Uh, in mine, I have in the uh, first set of parentheses, I have Grave of the Fireflies. Uh, that is also like 
uh, a war movie about people who don't really have much, just kind of leaning on each other in order to support each other. That movie is way fucking sadder than this movie. <laughs> uh, that is a tough, tough watch. Good gravy. Uh, I have that divided by Seven Samurai, uh, a movie also about a civilization using their skills to kind of band together to defeat this common enemy, whether it's a bully or something like that. But them being a source of power and finding that courage amongst themselves uh, and, and, you know, that kind of uh, defending themselves rather than looking towards others. Uh, I have all of that raised to the power of Jaws. I think that this uh, movie, again, has a similar sort of adventure DNA as well as questioning those in power uh, and how do they treat their subjects, so to speak, and their, their, their citizens. So uh, I think they have a lot of similar DNA, uh, but I think uh, all in, you know, not necessarily plagiarism or anything like that, but I think that this movie just really uh, is uh, having a lot of fun uh, with uh, the, you know, the, the fingerprints of Jaws and the impact that somebody like Steven Spielberg can and delivering it for a modern audience and, you know, uh, one hell of a kaiju movie, Godzilla minus one. I, I took Dunkirk from you because I willingly gave you Jaws and then I was and then I was going to mention Nope, but then I was like, I don't really need to mention Nope if we mention Jaws. Uh, so there you go. So you got a uh, two for one. There you go. Um, from you stealing that from me. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, uh, a banger of a movie. Um, can excited to continue on uh, talking some of our favorites from 2023. Uh, Donato, what do you got going on right now? I mean, I know you're writing. Probably, uh, I bet you got 12 tabs open right now. Uh, uh, outside the Zoom chat, what are what are you working on? Only three tabs. That that was uh, <laughs> sometimes it's twelve, sometimes it's three. Luckily, this is a three night. Um, I. In the last week alone, I have had pieces go up on IGN, Slashfilm, uh, Inverse. I have a new remake column going up on Blade Disgusting. So lots of irons and many fires. I will continue to just write reviews, write features as the movie world continues to churn. And you can follow me at Donatabomb, Twitter, Letterboxd, and Instagram mostly, where you can find all of my work. And it's... uh. You know, like I said, I'll keep uh, promoting myself and telling where things are, and I'm just gonna keep churning them out. Hell yeah, one of the one of the busiest boys in the biz. Uh, Garrett, what do you got going on right now? Uh, you can find me on uh, Letterboxd and TikTok, uh, as well as uh, my other podcast uh, at Scum Villain Pod. Uh, it's a Star Wars podcast, uh, but if you're not interested in that, yeah, all the other things uh, at Garrett McDowell, uh, talking movies and all that kind of stuff. So uh, yeah, big year, Devon. Big year for movies. Gonna have lots to discuss. Oh, yeah, we got lots of stuff going on, lots of potting going on. Uh, you can find me in all the usual places at underscore Daddy Disco on Twitter, Instagram, uh, Spectre Cinema on TikTok. Uh, me and Garrett are working on uh, putting some more uh, clips up on there of uh, for uh, for the for the kiddos, you know, for the mm -hmm. TikTokers, for the for the youth, for the youths, for the youths. Um, so uh, make sure you uh, go follow us there. Um, I'll go ahead and make sure to uh, shout out Certified Forgotten. Uh, I put up an article uh, on the stylist on there. Thank you, Denado, for that. Uh, so you guys uh, can go read that over on uh, Donato's uh, website, Certified Forgotten. And um, next week, what are we talking about? Another film that I have an article coming out on soon. Uh, it's time to salt burn, baby. Uh, we are going to uh, take a trip to the state and uh, and get real horny. Uh, super stoked for that. So we will catch you guys next time. But 
Now go ahead and do it for this week's episode of the Spectre Cinema Club. New episodes drop every Tuesday. Subscribe to not miss a thing. You can follow us on social media at Spectre Cinema on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. And if you're listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, leave us five stars, a nice little review. We appreciate you. But until next time, guys, stay lifted.